out of my childhood home. This is another difficult subject for me to approach. So I have once again procrastinated rather too long. But today is the day. Armed with two coffees rather than my habitual one a day limit. Here I go. When I was 15 years old, I procured myself a summer job in a cafe on the beach at Rock, opposite Padstow in Cornwall. It was called Uncle Tom's Cabin, if I remember well. I had also managed to secure jobs as waitresses for two of my girlfriends, Sam, Samantha and Wendy. We were excited and at first all went well. Then I was troubled by what appeared to be the ghost or spirit of the owner's dead wife. He had remarried and his dead wife not only did not approve, she was seriously concerned for Tom. It appeared that my young open heart and nervous system proved a way for her to have her feelings known. Help Tom! Help Tom! was a continuous message. Lights flickered. The steamer on the coffee machine would turn on and burn me as I passed. Coffee and teacups and mugs would leave their hooks on the wall and hurl across the room at me. I continued to tell her that I had no way in which to help Tom. I had no grounding in the problem at all. He was my boss and she was dead. One day I walked warily into the kitchen. By this time I had learned to give the coffee machine a wide berth. I looked out for the flickering lights that could presage an incoming mug or cup, aimed not necessarily at me, but they had sometimes landed and caused bruising. Well, on this morning, the far door of the kitchen eased itself open. I had never had cause to open or look out of that door before. It was as if I was led outside. And once there, across a very small yard, and through the open door of a rickety wooden shed. Inside the shed, lit well enough, through the amassed cobwebs on the small panelled window, were hundreds of knick-knacks, photographs, books and magazines, odd things like lamps and ashtrays, some still safely ensconced on their shelves, but many had spilled onto the floor from broken shelving. The floor was a heap of old rotting magazines and bits of this and that. As if I was somebody's puppet, I was made to reach down into one particular spot under these heaped magazines and drew out a small framed photograph of a woman in her late thirties or early forties, dark wavy hair and a kind face. 
dressed in a coat and a hat. Maria! Maria! came the voice that had previously had only repeated continuously, Help Tom! Help Tom! I placed the photo and frame carefully back onto a secure shelf after dusting it off and taking a good long look. I realised that the disembodied spirit, doing her best to communicate with me, was named Maria. All I could think to do was to try to reaffirm this tentative intelligence. I certainly could think of no way to help Tom. I in fact did ask Boss Tom if he had been married before and he told me that his wife Maria had died and he had remarried but Miss Maria every day. He did not reveal anything more to this 15 year old girl but I could feel the sadness in him. Well, my two friends, Sam and Wendy, had been a witness to much of the steam machine, mug-throwing, light-flickering action, which incidentally was always accompanied by a dramatic drop in temperature and icy chills experienced. They had been a bit freaked, to put it mildly, and found themselves another waitressing job around the other side of the headland in Polzeth. The first night without them, in our small three-bedded room, I experienced my first asthma attack. It was dramatic and terrifying. Alone in a first-floor room, suddenly without access to oxygen, I scrabbled the window open, hoping for air. This did not help, and I suppose that by this time my brain was not functioning well at all. I climbed out of the window and jumped or fell. I only remember that my fall was broken by some shrubs outside the ground floor windows. From this point, I only have snatches of memory of crawling along a gravel track, cruel stones attacking my hands and knees. I do remember seeing some French windows beckoning to me across the soft green lawn. The next thing I recall was waking to the absolute consternation of an adult couple who had just had the misfortune to discover a blood-soaked teenager in complete disarray on their beautiful deep-piled white carpet. (laughs) A trail of blood showing my entry point. I have absolutely no recall of having crossed the lawn or of entering their lounge at all. Somehow my survival instinct had taken care of all of that and I had dragged myself to the nearest point of rescue before becoming unconscious. This understanding and compassionate couple, who I never saw again, took me to the nearest hospital. Also, I have absolutely no idea of where that was. I was cleaned up as best they could and had it explained to me that I had suffered a life-threatening 
asthma attack. Women now have to take medicine through inhalers, probably for the rest of my life. The next thing I remember is being back in my room and realising that alone I could not afford the rent. So off to work at the cafe I went. Once there I saw the cook, a young man in his twenties with soft wavy brown hair and quite good looking but very old as far as I was concerned. I asked him if he knew of a cheap place that I might rent as my friends Sam and Wendy had left. He said yes. After work this evening he would take me and show me. After our shifts were over we set off back up the hill towards where I had been staying. Then we turned off to the right and then out onto the hillside and heading diagonally downwards. I felt a sudden feeling of fear but dismissed it. I had been working with this man in close proximity for some weeks by this now time and he had always been so mild-mannered that he had practically been invisible. A large wooden barn appeared to be our destination and I queried this and he laughed. He said that he just had to collect something from the barn which was completely isolated in a dip out on the open hills and then we would go on to the accommodation that I might like to rent. Unsuspectingly I followed him inside and before I realised what was happening he was on the outside and had bolted the door. I called and shouted but soon realised that I was truly in trouble. The next three days saw me attempting to dig under the earth floor at the bottom of the barn during the day. At night, this man returned. I slept in the hayloft, and the first and second nights he bought me food and sat leaning against the roof support whilst I slept. I was making some progress on one spot of earth which had been easy to hide as there were plenty of old sacks lying about. On the third night I fell asleep and was woken by this man punching me in the face, first one side then the other. He was sat astride my body and I could not move. He hit me with great anger and hatred. Even then I understood that his hatred and anger was not for me but for someone that I was being a stand-in representative for. Eventually he stopped and lay down to sleep. I could not sleep. I was in great pain and truly great fear. I understood that very soon he would rape me and then he would be obliged to kill me was that there was no way he could let me go and expect to remain free. He left for work in the morning. I can only suppose that Boss Tom believed that I had gone off to work in Polzeth with Sam and Wendy, so was not much concerned apart from having to find new waitresses. That morning I got seriously busy 
and managed to finally create a space just big enough for me to scrabble and slide and pull my way out under the wall of the barn. Once again, my memory has a huge blank. I cannot recall anything that occurred from that point until I managed to get myself back to my parents' home. I never told them, the police, or for many years, no one at all about what had happened to me. The reason for this rather large preamble to the subject of the day I left home is because I believe this event, coupled with two previous rape attempts that I also had not related to my parents for fear that they would curtail my freedoms, were the reasons that I had become a difficult teenager. I had never got along well with my father, although I adored him, but I started staying out beyond the agreed home times. Also, an older sister had become pregnant, and my parents had assisted her to marry, get a home and a car, also supported her as she finished school. I believe my father was thinking that I too would get myself pregnant, and there was no way, Jose, that he was going to help me through that circumstance. Little did he know that I was, by now, so terrified of males that the only way I could ever get pregnant was through an act of rape. Offshot is that one night I returned a lot later than my agreed-upon home time to find my father waiting for me in the kitchen. It was a large kitchen with a long trestle-like table running down the centre. We ended up keeping this table between us as his fury grew and he attempted to grab me, telling me that he would have me locked up and throw away the key. This was no idle threat as my oldest sister had been incarcerated in a mental hospital and had endured three cycles of electroshock treatment that apart from destroying much of her memories and abilities did nothing at all to mend the relationship she had with her parents. I knew he meant it and I knew I had to escape. Back to our frantic dance around the kitchen table. It would be amusing if it hadn't been so serious. At some point, my dad realised that I was young and fitter, almost 17 years of age, and I could probably keep the table between us for the rest of the night and then some. So he stopped still and said, So when are you leaving then? And I didn't give it any thought at all and said, Tomorrow. He went off to bed, as did I. The next day, I packed a few things and left. I did not talk to my mother, brother or sister, nor my grandmother, Nellie, or Uncle Alan, who still live with us after the death of my beloved grandfather, Harry. I wandered about looking at ads for rooms to rent. I had a job 
at a petrol station as it was the summer holidays and I had burnt my bridges as far as returning to school went. I could not find any possible place for me to stay. So that night, bag on shoulder, I went down to the cellar bar of the Feathers pub in Ealing Broadway and met up with friends and acquaintances. Here was Tim, who I had known for about three years by now, an older young man, probably 20 years old at the time. I can't remember if I inquired of him directly or if he had just heard from somebody else, but he said that I could not only stay at his mother's place tonight, but that she had a room to let so I could probably lay my bag down and start my new independent life. So that is how I left home. Suddenly, with misunderstandings and unshared secrets. And it turned out to be a case of out of the frying pan and into the fire. It was a slow burn, however. And that is another story.